Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for Episode 37, Flood Sport, The Danger and Romance of Extreme Rainwater Harvesting, originally published October 28, 2022. And what I'm going to focus on sharing now is, is a real personal, somewhat more than normal, emotional expression of uh, what it's felt like to endure and survive and adapt to a uh, the most significant rain event since I've been on my land here, and it has uh, it it was considered flash flood um, scenarios for about. Maybe yeah, between twelve and sixteen hours, probably, and it was certainly the mo- the consecutive additional extended flash flood warnings coming in through the emergency uh, messaging system, and yeah, luckily I had I had a uh, a I had been planning for an eventuality of something more extreme like that. And I had already, it's beautiful because there's nothing blocking my view of the horizon in all directions. So I, I pretty much have a good sense of how, cloud, how, how dark the clouds are, how many of them there are, how dense they are, how fast they're moving. I'm not a, I'm not a meteorologist. I don't know the fine details of it, but I, can, but I, I have a, a relatively keen sense of... Um, it's pretty obvious <laughs> that uh, you a storm is coming, and you have it, it would behoove you to start um, modifying things as necessary, and and start to go down that that checklist of procedures and protocols. And pretty much everything is mostly dialed in to where there's very few things that I have to adjust. Mainly it's about how do I capture as much rainwater as I can and just do a little bit of optimization for that. But as far as stuff not getting blown away, all that's pretty pretty well taken care of. And uh, I've been getting better and better at uh, not having stuff get blown away and, uh, and, and just adapting and adjusting to never... It's, it's never a, a static thing where the water is going to get into, what direction it's going to be coming from. And, and, and so I end up with my sort of bamboo tiny home situation getting 
ser- uh, serving as, as a very, sometimes very effectual rainwater roof catchment and sometimes more, <laughs> sometimes, uh, sometimes also getting a little bit, a, a little bit, uh, flooded in, in the meantime, but, but it generally will flood around me, not on me in a way that I could sleep through a freezing cold night of rain and hail and whatever moisture um, does make it in it's it's just it's not it's it's not uh, doesn't tend to be so disruptive that I end up with any of it dripping on me however that's always changing and always adjusting because you get it fixed one season (laughs) and then the next time it rains, oh, the the heat of the summer cracked some of the uh, some of the the rubber seal, seals, and um, and then you're you're playing that whack a mole with um, with leaks and whatnot. But but it's it's been pretty good uh, the last the last year or so. Um, but this time was definitely a situation where I actually escalated my strategy because the lightning strikes were getting close like within less than 50 to 100 feet and um, I decided I was going to not just for the sake of being um, uh, sacrifice a bit of bravado and actually and actually leave my little potentially floodable potentially a little bit more a little bit less secure in terms of lightning strikes situation in this bamboo tiny home with the with the rainwater catching roof kind of thing that sort of hut <laughs> felt felt like it might not that it would blow away it's actually very robust in that sense structurally but but that it uh yeah that if it if this, if this, I just got the sense intuitively that the, that it was time to um, to take it to a higher level, which for me is actually getting into a, a, a truck where where I'm just laying out in the back seat and I'm I'm sort of um, capitulating to a more modern a more modern design of uh, of sheltering from from the elements and in a, in a lightning thunderstorm whether it's folk science or folklore or true science the uh there's there's factors that that make it that make it make it a better decision and uh and I, and so I was able to just in the nick of time get everything I needed in there to be self-sufficient for probably expecting 12 hours or more which it was which was about the duration and it was an interesting time and place to to reflect and actually feel like I was almost in a a space shuttle or something compared to how exposed I normally am to the wind and to the temperature and to the moisture and the sand and everything my tiny home hut is intentionally designed to be very to be very uh, as open as it can possibly be to all those elements, and uh, and I've adapted and adjusted just fine with that, and I prefer that. So being inside a totally air air gapped, air controlled cab of a truck, um, it's great for taking a nap while while traveling, of course, but 
it was probably actually the first time in over a year and a half that uh that I that I well the first time period really that I experienced dwelling in this wilderness property um in a way that that would that would be to that extreme buffered from from the elements and um so yeah it was like being on a remote it's like being on a space station or being in a in a remote um extreme climate scientific observation facility or something where where you could look out the the windows and see epic storms and epic chaos happening around you but you would be you wouldn't be you would just be observing it in in a very secure and dry and comfortable manner and that was the first experience I've had you know I have I hadn't gone in there during sandstorms and of course if it got bad enough I I would and I'd have to plan for bugging bugging into a, a truck extended cab for the duration of what could be apocalyptic sandstorms you know that last for days and where you just could not you would you would get dust pneumonia if you even were outside at all so i think about those are probably my two worst case scenarios out here is like extended dust storms and uh and extended rainstorms and uh and hailstorms so this was yeah the first time where where it was extreme enough to where i had to uh i had to act on the intuition that it was time to do that and it was definitely <laughs> this is where it gets emotional is that uh is that i had in the previous last several sacred precious rare rain events I had a system that was very fragile, but it was working of capturing rainwater within a giant dugout pond crater that I had dug by hand with just a shovel. And I've had to use that strategy of of digging out craters to keep materials like mulch and compost and, um, and obviously earthworks for if there is a major sheet flow of water, which it came close this time, but it didn't, there wasn't any, there was, there was not enough, uh, of a, of a steady flow to actually create a stream over the stream beds that, that do run through the property. And, um, they've been dry ever since I've been here. And I don't know if that's been for years or decades or hundreds of years or thousands of years, but they're definitely there and they're compacted and I've keyed off of them to build swales and ponds so that if they're, if and when those do flow again, and I'm always praying for that day, then I will, I will see how well my design actually works. Um, and, and, but until that, that, uh, that day comes the strategy is to capture rainwater in obviously buckets and in in roof barrels and stuff like that but that's it's it's just absurd how little that gets and how painful it is to watch so much of it 
not go to waste because it's doing its natural thing and it's not running off into a a toxic soup somewhere. It's actually absorbing into the sand and going very deep and hopefully um, at some level recharging aquifers and... um, and it's certainly not just being immediately, uh, it's not being run off and it's not being evaporated. So it's hydrating the land. All kinds of new wildlife is coming out. Crazy looking giant grasshopper cricket looking things. We look like they actually have feathered wings and and like volunteers. I've never seen, not out here at least, I've never seen volunteer plants growing from seeds that I've dropped like my sesame seeds where I grind them of course there's going to be a few that get that escape and they're popping up out of the out of the dead dry sand that just got that rain so I see it doing its thing but what's so painful and heartbreaking is just how little I was able to to capture and uh and store and put to use and uh, for my survival and my and my food forest, um, and it was just uh, it was quite a a somber moment um, being in that truck and looking out the window and just being being like this is the most epic rain event and and I. Nothing that I have done in this year and a half, not even with all the legitimate excuses of, of, of the, the deadly heat and the bear market and everything, like nothing justifies to me as my, as my worst critic not having been more more prepared to to have more catchment in place and the thing that i was looking forward to relying on failed because it was it was a um a prototype i I talked about it at length before but basically it, it worked until it didn't and yeah, some some frustrating and some delicate circumstances have made it so I've been sort of on on the edge of um, of upgrading that and uh, almost like praying against the rain after spending so much time praying for the rain. I'm like, oh, please come while I'm ready, when I'm ready. But then, and then time out because I need to fix something. And then boom, you know, the literally it was like two inches of rain because. And now that's that just hurts so much because I'm like, man, it, I, I, knowing how much I caught before, and feeling like all I want to do is scale that out and optimize it and make it more secure and robust, knowing that as it was, it was it was definitely a temporary prototype. It proved a point, but it needed to be iterated upon, and so now I'm definitely very very painfully motivated to not let that happen again uh by yeah strategy but basically now i'm i'm multiplying that capacity and it's a lot of hard work just digging out 
what ton metric cubic tons of sand and uh all just barely having come out of that debilitating summer heat but now it's cool enough to where i can actually get a couple few hours of that work done during the day and it's just a matter of the the physical therapy of getting back into being able to to sustain that and it's definitely been a blessing to um alternate the shovel work from left to right side of the body left to right arm doing the 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 mechanical work of of actually digging in and um I had not done that all my life until this last year when I got turned on to that that Japanese mindset of of balancing tasks between the hemispheres of the body and not not letting your dominant hand uh exclude the opportunity for the non-dominant hand to um to more correctly ergonomically and even more correctly spiritually energetically um anatomically uh take its turn so so that you're not lopsided in that way and uh and that could be good for a lot of other things and really affect how the brain works too so i've been in that mode and it has made my back um really come back to life after a lot of a lot of excruciating debilitating agony so just learning that for me personally what i thought was intractable chronic back pain may have only may, well not only been but may have been partially due to a a failure to balance that load and um and alternate properly and and then develop the the ability to be as effective in a switch stance sort of shoveling method so i'm very grateful that uh, that's evolving and and i have the emotional energy the emotional content to push me to be like now because of that major loss of what literally when i feel when i think about what happened as how i felt while it was happening when i reflect on it now i'm like man just with the most simple and elegant application of what i have devised out here which costs nothing practically nothing to do except for the time and the energy to 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 dig out these craters because i don't want to i don't want to spend a lot of money renting equipment and to do that um with machine power i want to do it by hand and that's part of the part of the lifestyle part of the spiritual practice but it's like i know it's not the last time it's ever going to rain and it was good for me to experience that pain but it was basically looking feeling like man i literally could have and if i didn't this time i can do it and it fucking better be next time and if it's not next time it better better be the next time right after that but but any time like that ever again if it ever rains like that for and there was only you know it was phasing in and out of real downpour to to more of a you know more of a sprinkle between over the course of many hours but if it was overall 2 inches of rain approximately 
across the handful of acres that I have. <laughs> it wouldn't take too many, it wouldn't take that many more of these ponds that I'm digging if I can, if I can seal them um, with ever increasingly more robust techniques over time. Um, and, and also uh, uh, apply techniques to for them to be self-healing by the life that lives in them, meaning that there's properties of, uh, of, of, of ecology and, and aquatic yeah aquatic ecology that will that will work over time to seal any kind of cracks and, 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 and leaks in in whether it's liners or or bentonite or, compacted soil whatever it is that that's something that works itself out over time but you have to bootstrap and kickstart that life and that requires you know some 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 luck and skill but I did feel like fuck I just watched not just a year's worth of water for me and everything I'm trying to grow but it made me realize that damn if I really wanted to if I really focus on this and endure the the crucible of this, then I will be able to, if I, with a very small amount of money, I will be able to create a level of water security that would literally last for years from one rain event. And at some point, I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's very typical for people in my um, zoning, in, in, in people, rural people, period, to have cisterns uh, above or below ground water tanks where they're storing tens if not hundreds of gallons of water, either from wells or maybe they're catching rain off of big, big um, uh, roofs of big, big agro structures that they have or just big farmhouses or whatever. And um, I don't have any of that. I have no structures and I don't intend to have any structures. I mean, the, I've, got, I've got tiny home and, and water truck and, um, and ponds. And that's, I, don't, I, I really don't intend to build anything other than a forest canopy and maybe there'll be some tree houses in that forest canopy someday, but I don't want to build anything that's going to have roof surface area to catch rainwater. I feel like that's just going to get blown away, become a hazard, be an eyesore, be expensive. And um, and if I don't need to do that because I'm capturing rainwater in in seasonally productive aquatic ecosystems, or maybe when it rains, they get to have a much higher level, but then I just maintain them at a tiny level just to keep the most important base of it. Like the catchment area is almost like a scale model, a teachable scale model of a, of a watershed because I dig these things out, maybe 20 foot diameter now. And it just, all it needs to be is like 10, 15 foot slope to the center point, which is more of the deep bowl. And that's what can hold hundreds if not thousands of gallons in one rain event and I can draw that out into into uh, storage tanks or I could let it 
let it grow a bunch of crops until it evaporates. And depending on the year, the time of year, and depending on how much shade cover I can get up naturally or artificially over that, I'm going to start getting into a point of like, of, of, um, more water than I know what to do with on living water. Some stored in tanks, some used for for my personal use and most of it used for irrigation and then just scaling that out. And um, yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I guess, yeah, I was thinking of the analogy. It's like watching, sitting in that truck while there was still, well, while the sun was starting to go down and it was getting darker, and I'm like, yeah, this feels like watching a mountain of money burn. <laughs> That's how it feels to me as someone who knows, and not because I try, not because I even care about making a profit by growing crops and selling them. I mean, that's something that is a bridge I will maybe cross in the future, but I kind of like being retired from commerce at this point for the most part. But what... Uh, what it did feel like, the closest analogy was is that, that how would it feel to watch a pile of money be burned? It's not that it's money, that it's not necessarily money that I would be making. It's money that I'm going to have to spend to go and truck in water and pay for gas to haul water in when all of that water just <laughs> went, didn't go to waste. It went to where it's always gone, and that's beautiful, and that's nature. But in terms of my prerogative... For all intents and purposes, not being, not being positioned, and not having had prior, not having felt the pressure, not not of not pushing myself and 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 pressurizing myself enough to be prepared for that moment. I basically, it was based, I may as well have just burnt, burnt a bunch of, <laughs> withdrawn a bunch of cash from the bank and burnt it <laughs> in a barbecue or in a fire pit. That's pretty much like literally what it was because, and how much it's, it's a trip and it's, it's a, I mean, I'm, I, it's a beautiful pain. I will say it's a beautiful pain because, I mean, that is a good problem to have. It's like so much natural value is literally raining down on me that I that that I have the magical permaculture skill set alchemy to to literally to to make that into capital or to make that into a shield of my capital and keep me alive and be healthier and I won't have to purify it or or get rid of the chemicals in it or filter anything. I mean, yes, filter it and disinfect it from natural biology, but not from chemical additives that 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 are, that are added to the water supply. I mean, there's just so many reasons why it's absurd how valuable rain is and 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 how under how disrespected it is and and when Cody Lundeen had a tear come to his eye uh in that in that dual survival tv show reality tv show at that time I wasn't um you know I could I could only intellectually identify with him now I can really emotionally identify with him because yeah well he's a desert desert survival master and I'm um 
I'm a desert survival novice, but uh, but I really understand it now. I mean, I feel that in a deep way. And there have been legitimate reasons for me to to have hesitation and to work in- incrementally, but that something snapped. I had. something has forever changed in me. I don't want to say I'm dead inside, but I will say that I'm like very, there's a lot of turmoil because of that, because I feel like um, and, you know, I mean, the positive constructive thing is that the only way to right that wrong internally of being that self-critic is to be like never again and that goes for a lot of things in life doesn't it I'm not going to beat myself up I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to express that 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 <laughs> that feeling of wishing of wanting to beat myself up by actually accelerating the work and um, and pushing myself that much harder and having that reason to push that much harder, which, you know, it's it, it's an interesting it's an interesting psychology of being like, what does it take? I mean, the, I guess a good analogy is that I used, one of my um, I did this thing back in the day, organized this group. I called it Open Source Martial Arts, and me and a bunch of friends would uh, get together and each share different elements of styles that we had trained in and uh the 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 Krav Maga guy he said we like we like to do this for reality street based uh training in our studio and basically he would line us all up and have us do sort of a a kind of you know kind of standard boxing type of hook jab Bob Weave kind of pattern and he would kind of call it out and have us line up and then each approach him and and hit the pads and then go back to the line and then he would change up the moves and whatnot but it was it was his signature for me it was a signature thing and it was something that is maybe standard across all studios or maybe it was just a something that had been idiosyncratic to his instructor but it stuck with me and I think it's a good analogy to think of now is like <laughs> for, for every every time someone comes up to do the drill he takes the pads and he just decks you with them in, in, in the chest like like almost knocking you over just to piss you off and to get you motivated to fucking put your all into it don't 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 be feather dusting with this and don't just be going through the motions like a, it's good to be thrown off balance and have to get, dig your feet in and dig your heels in and get that those body mechanics and the hip work going on from a position of being disoriented. But that's typically, yeah, the 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 uh, the flinch and uh, that response, like fighting through that flinch response and just being being upset and thrown off balance by that. I thought it was fucking genius, <laughs> and I loved it. And uh, and it makes a lot of sense. So with that, you know, whereas before this rain event, I was 
digging ponds and doing rainwater catchment like 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 someone in a self-defense class that didn't get punched or, or or pushed before they did their drill now i got my little push my little punch and uh and i'm i'm putting more uh more effort into this into this and uh there's not too many more inches of rain that i can expect to to risk losing out on and um yeah it it feels like blood to me it feels like being bled out watching that rain go by and um knowing what i know knowing better it wasn't like i was fucking off it wasn't like i was um not taking care of all kinds of stuff but it was like still when push comes to shove (laughs) when you know you could have pushed yourself more and you could have prioritized that more not that you should have or that you could have known or that it's just like you just you don't you don't know um necessarily you don't know how painful it's going to be you don't know how uh, what do they say hindsight is twenty twenty. you know it's it's like um Yeah, maybe it's not so much that uh, that when I look back, I should say everything you did that wasn't that was BS and how dare you and shame on you. It's not so much that. It's just that don't let it happen again because now you really know how it feels. And it's weird because it's rained numerous times, but it just never rained and it never rained that much and I never it never experienced it in that way. And um and part of it is that uh the first several rains didn't have that effect on me because I wasn't I hadn't I didn't have any rainwater catchment, almost none. And I was very risk averse about travel, about about financial activities and uh was trying to basically maintain my position with the water that i had brought in and just not take any risks at that point and now i look back and go yeah maybe you should have taken that risk but it's not the end of the world but the funny thing is is like what 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 made me what gave me this um this appetite, this like sort of passion for for catching rainwater is how successful that that first prototype was. So it's almost like um, yeah, if you never fall in love, you wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't know what a, what it feels like. You wouldn't know how 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 much a heartbreak could hurt you know <laughs> until you fall in love so i fell in love with with that prototype because i knew it was the most tangible path to freedom i've ever experienced in my life and the highest leverage over not over the system but but a, a way to be freed from the system and to be banking on the earth bank 
and living within the cycles of nature. Like never before had I felt that so directly. And then, and then it was, uh, it worked until it didn't. And in the time from when it didn't work until this major rain event, that's when I, that's when I'm, I, I should have, um, I should have pushed myself more, but, but again, I'm not going to go into details. I'm not going to go in circles with this. If there's any value in this besides just making a record, a captain's log of, of, of these experiences, I guess I would say if I were someone else listening to this and I would maybe look at what's going on in my life to where is this is just a form of procrastination that's pretty high stakes or 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 just looking at the different types of procrastination that exist maybe things that a lot of time it's very mundane simple things but it could be very pivotal pivotal things like how are you going to get out of a second story window on a fire and <laughs> and you you've had that that uh hook out hook onto your windowsill extendable ladder on your shop in your shopping cart for years and you forgot about it and meanwhile you've bought all kinds of other things in the meantime and then you and you know what I'm saying stuff like that where it's like damn and I'm pretty good at this point about redundancy and backing things up and having excessive amounts of food security and medical supplies and and whatnot um but again it's like good problems to have if 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 i'm already doing all right and i'm thinking about how can i secure the future better and more because my my present situation is 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 well stocked and well supplied and now i'm thinking about damn i could have had years into the future more like this that's that's a very positive pressure, a very positive direction, positive outlook. And so, yeah, if you're listening to this and whether you are interested in preparedness and survivalism and permaculture and whatnot, whatever it is, there are probably, probably things that you could spend a little more time thinking about how bad you would feel if you did not if you were not proactive ahead of a potential circumstance and how good it would feel how good it would feel to have to be proactive and meditate on that and how bad it would feel to not be and I'm I have the the best of both worlds now because I'm motivated by the pain of missing out on securing those years in the future of water security. But I have the other good feeling that I have successes that I've built on and never again. And next time I'm going to get it right. And if I don't, I'm going to keep iterating and really being on alert for any any forms of um, backsliding and procrastinating 
and prioritizing, deprioritizing that doesn't make sure that that gets done because you don't know what it feels like to get your heart broken if you've never been in love. So now I know I'm in love with this process. And now I do feel like it's not... Um, now after saying all this I don't feel like it's inappropriate to use a term that I don't even know if it already exists or not I don't care I'm not going to dissuade myself by searching it to find out that I'm that I'm, I'm, I'm uh, trampling on someone's trademark or something but to me in all seriousness I do feel like it is a life and death, high stakes, danger and romance. And I will call this flood sport. That's what I'm doing now with my life. This is life and death flood sport. And that is a play on blood sport, one of my favorite movies. And a sense of like, this is full contact with fucking lightning and fucking hail and torrential rains and not letting that fucking destroy your habitat and having it work for you to benefit you to provide epic years and decades and lifetimes of ecological food and water security. And I'm not gonna give any advice to the places that are being flooded right now where people are dying because that's to me uh, a terrible tragedy that in, in a lot of ways, in a lot of circumstances can't be avoided and is just pure tragedy but it does beg the question because I happen to be in a very um, flood strategic position in terms of the the sighting of where I where I'm at and part of that was very intentional and part of it was very serendipitous but I mean, more skyscrapers or better, better, more epic earthworks for for de-risking major flood events. That's the civil engineering flood sport that I'm practicing at a micro scale where the stakes for me are not, they're, they're life and death for me, but my survival experiment really only affects me. These civil engineers, these architects, these urban planners, public health officials, all the people who govern and administer all these systems who are seeing over massive disease outbreaks in flooded areas and there's a lot that permaculture has to teach about mitigating extreme weather events of all types through design and through vegetation planting in certain patterns. And of course, most importantly, over engineering of um, hydrology and, 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 uh, and how, you, how you design to slow sink and spread rain events and actually reduce the extremes within any given site's extreme uh, conditions. 
through design and that's all within reach and it's all relatively low cost and it's all organic and it's all partnering with with the the with biomimicry and with nature so I say that with no um, no hubris and no no cynicism when I say for me that life is now about what I would what I would call this flood sport it's like I've got to have a develop a a a an art form appropriate to my site that guarantees my survival and and is is intelligent and wise in terms of what what can be extreme extreme rain events and that's probably where I'm at the most destructive potentially sandstorms yeah there could be a sandstorm that completely buries everything I've ever planted or will ever plant that's theoretically possible but what's more probable is just like what just happened massive hail um, to where if I didn't have the don't the 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 wire mesh covered dome gardens uh, system running everything I planted would have been killed probably by that hail or would have been severely damaged so that's not that's not feasible for broad scale plantings and whatnot you're not gonna you're not gonna do that but that, there again comes the argument for permaculture's gardening at a human scale because if every living human being cared for their own kitchen garden then if there would be no crop fields to be destroyed by hail that would that's that's the whole point you know you could be very you can secure your survival garden with a bit of a bit of um some some materials you know some even yeah you you can you can do a lot to secure your survival garden and then expose uh plantings broad acre plantings um to whatever pestilence and and plague and <laughs> apocalyptic events occur and if you're biodiverse enough and you design properly then there should be a lot of opportunity that's created for survivors to take up niches and that's just a matter of not being monocrop ag and being polyculture so i'm not going to go off the rails on all that stuff this is a good time to wind it down but i will say while there are people day after day drowning to death and being pummeled by debris in massive floods around the world and where the survivors are dying of horrible curable um, grotesque 
uh, epidemics of disease. Um, I, I'm not saying that what I'm doing is a solution for them, but I am saying that I can feel... Um, I do think about them. I, I care about them, and and I and I think about how, um, what's it going to take? When are we going to learn our lesson in our relationship with these elements, with fire and wind and rain, and then of course the the critters and the pests that we or the 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 insects that we that we that become pests when we design wrong basically but when are we gonna when are we gonna learn our lesson and there are definitely people like I said before where it's a pure tragedy where they're just humble people doing their best living the way they have sustainably for thousands of years and this is just pure tragedy but because of the yeah because of the the urbanization industrialization the depopulation of the of, of villages and whatnot i would dare say that a lot of the horror is happening in very very poorly designed urban environments that have no well they have some engineered um, mitigation, but sadly, it seems to rarely. If if it doesn't, if it it seems to it seems that. Um, Unlike what, unlike what a permaculture, how a permaculture was designer would think, which would be, okay, let's spend time thinking about what forces of nature could be destructive, and let's figure out how to design with that energy and with that input of resource to be in a way that benefits a design. So, I mean, the ultimate paradise on earth would be where we design cities like like the old Mexico City Chinampas where where instead of any paved <laughs> impermeable surfaces, rather all of our logistical connectivity is done through waterways and we're all commuting in water vessels that do not pollute and are human powered and it's like like you've if, i've never been to bangkok but I, I i i'm so um breathtaking by the beauty of watching the people oh and i've seen documentaries of hong kong where people entire generations never ever step set foot on the land because there's this these they're living in a this ecology of, of 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 fisheries and trading and to me that's 
paradise on earth, that's the most elegant existence you could possibly have, is is a hybrid of of the of those dynamics. And so, yeah. And I guess until we are in a relationship with with water, where if we want to be densely urbanized, which I do not want, and I don't look forward to that, but if that's what people want. There's there's a way to do that, where, where it can where, where basically like like every like imagine everybody is everybody is in a houseboat that's ruggedized for all types of weather situations, and that houseboat is also actually providing sustenance and nutrient cycling. And and that's been well developed. I know some seasteader people who are like genius architects of those kinds of, because if they're being designed to function in very violent oceanic climate areas and storm prone areas, yeah, there's a lot more resources that we have to build that kind of stuff in today's world than our ancestors had. But some some places in the world they really did, they really did go all the way with um, with having a a very dynamic and adjustable a very dynamic relationship with um, with the sea level and and that's something that can always be continually optimized so <laughs> like that's what that's what all of the um hydraulic civilizations as they're called they're floods that's flood sport textbook flood sport if you will it's like how do you tap into those cyclical flows how do you not be, how do you maximize their utility and the the duty of that water that you can harvest in those cycles seasonal and 100 year floods and all that kind of like understanding that and tapping into it maximizing it versus being destroyed by it or over relying on it to where you're then extincted by a drought period and maybe you were too drunk on prosperity in in the in the times of of hydraulic plenty but i think that yeah again for me i can't really put put more words on it other than to say i've never i've never ever in my life felt so um What's the word? Um, I mean, it's funny because I guess this is the I'm gonna end like this. I watched my my investment portfolio in digital assets drop by however many orders of magnitude over the last several months, and. And I didn't, I literally did not feel any of that at all. 
and all I felt was the anxiousness to be optimized to catch rainwater and I, the way that I felt that the way that the way that that <laughs> that the impact of that sort of displaced or um what's the word uh sublimated or the transference of that of that investment portfolio trauma uh, the way that the tra- that trans that was the transference into this the stakes being higher for the rainwater catchment because fuck maybe i do really need to have enough water to survive a multi-year recession bear market where the cost of trucking and water and the cost of the risk of anything happening to the truck and repairs and all that it's like that's where it really starts to feel like it's not just it's not like burning money that that you could have made from the rainwater it's that that rainwater could have protected your capital protected your your truck from undue unnecessary um wear and tear and possible breaking down and how much how devastating it would be to have to repair it and pull money out of um out of a trade at a low point in a bear market that that is <laughs> it's still somewhat abstract but but even all of that it does not compare to just the very visceral feeling of watching and feeling that knowing that like never before in life was it what did i have the um the ownership of land and therefore the ownership of this pride and duty to maximize the survivability of the land and extend and value every every photon of sunlight that 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 hits this land within the perimeter of it like every fucking photon every drop of rain every carbon molecule of life that i can compost and circulate feeling that in a in a profound way it's a beautiful pain and uh Yeah, I did ask myself, like, well, why don't you feel this way about all the sunlight that you're not capturing in leaves and in solar panels and whatnot? I'm like, yeah, well, the difference is that shows up every fucking day and rain only comes a few fucking days a year. That's the difference. If I, if I didn't catch all the photons today, I'll be able to catch them tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. But with rain... In this climate, it's a different story. And there are climates where it's the opposite, where you got tons of rain and not a lot of sun. So you gotta you gotta boogie and hustle when you get that sunlight. And I'll, I'm in I'm in the opposite situation. So that's that's the beautiful pain. That is the flood sport. That is a relationship with um, the economies of of the elements. And I feel that I have a positive and constructive empowered relationship personally with my with my dance with these forces far more than I do with chip manufacturing petrochemicals crude oil geopolitics elections (laughs) 
you know, uh, keeping up with what's trending on social media, like that stuff is beyond my control. But what, what is within my control is building upon that feeling of where, where, where it's going to be next time is that when it starts storming like that and the lightning is striking right next to me and the hail and rain is coming down and it's I see where it's starting to pull up in places that it's going to pull up into my ponds and then when the uh, when the sun shines the next day and I come out of my secure backup shelter then there will be sunshine glimmering off of what looks like what's not a mirage what's actually an oasis of of ever-increasing ever-increasing arrays of uh of these ponds and having more of that rainwater in one event that I know what to do with that I can possibly store and I just put it spoil trees and spoil plants and and have a a watering hole for all the wildlife and maybe eventually those will last until they're replenished naturally because of having growing a shade canopy over them and having them be deep enough and having enough floating plants to keep the, the evaporation down and having one feed into the next. And that's, to me, that's the, the dream of um, that I'm trying to live out here. And uh, yeah, with that said, that's a good hour. And I'm going to sign off there. Cheers. Thank you.